I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast, where we talk about food and drink and all sorts of awesome stuff, but mostly food and drink. Today, we are talking Valentine's Day with Allison Roman, senior food editor. Hey, Allison. Oh, loving that voice. Oh, yeah. Hi. But wait, there's more. Also joining us in the studio today is senior editor Julia Kramer. Thanks for having me. Before we get going, we need a little background. Julia, married, correct? I've been married for almost one year. But you've been with Zach for how many? I've known him for the past 14 years. Wow. So you've got, you've got some serious uh, Valentine's Day mileage. Serious. Serious. Roman, you're the, the single girl in, in town, yes? Kind of. In this room, yeah. In this room. I'm the single gal in the room. <laughs> All right, so we got, I got single to my right, married to my left. I'm married also. Um, let's talk Valentine's Day. This is one of those days that creeps up on you. You're like, oh, man, it's Valentine's Day. I have to do something. But you know what? It doesn't have to be this pressure-packed, cliched moment. It can be fun. It can be awesome. That's what we write about in our February issue of Bon Appetit. We've got this great Valentine's Day package. It's also available on bonappetit.com. Uh, and basically, it's like, are you going out for dinner or are you cooking in? Let's talk going out first. Roman, you've worked in restaurants. You're mm-hmm. a test kitchen editor here. What are the do's and don'ts when going out? Um, Well, I would say avoid any restaurant that claims to have a special Valentine's Day menu. Because A, you don't really know what that means. B, it probably indicates that there's a mass production of food happening, which... Meaning what? You've worked in kitchens before. Yeah, you know, like you've got your 28,000 chocolate tarts lined up, your four hotel pans of duck confit, your salad ready to go to feed, you know, 90 people. It's sort of like you're going to a restaurant that is being run by caterers. But I think what's interesting in our in our piece, uh, Andrew Knowlton, our, rest, our rather opinionated restaurant editor, brings up a good point about going out, um, that the aim of the night should not be to go someplace, quote-unquote, romantic, um, where you get your beef tenderloin and pomme puree. Go someplace fun. And, and I love this idea of, like, go if you have a Korea town in your city, like, go do the Korean barbecue where you sit at the grill table and you drink a bunch of OB beers and you actually have fun with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. Do something different. Have a great time together. Yeah. Uh, and Knowlton's very Knowltonian uh, <laughs> sort of notion of, like, just go to a bar. Yeah, go to a really fun bar and to, get drunk. Yeah, get drunk and then go get burgers somewhere. Um, Kramer, are you, do you go out much on Valentine's? Or what's your whole Valentine's sitch? Surprisingly, for how long Zach and I have been together, we've never gone out on Valentine's Day. I have gone out on Valentine's Day when I was a restaurant critic and I had to review a Mexican restaurant in Chicago. And I had Valentine's Day for one. Uh, They seated me in the window where I ate my tacos alone. And just to be clear, I used to go out to eat by myself all the time, and I loved it. And I think it's really fun to go out to eat alone, but not on Valentine's Day. Wait, so where was Zach? So Zach was getting his master's. He lived in L.A. Yeah, so we were in a long-distance relationship. I think what bothers me and a lot of people about Valentine's Day is there is that pressure about having to do things a certain way and having to be romantic. And I believe strongly in cooking at home, Um, especially here in New York and other big cities. You go out so often to eat. Why not bring it home, do something cozy and fun, and, and, and make a special meal? This year, especially, Valentine's Day is on a Saturday, so you actually have time to cook. Mm-hmm. I guess I will be cooking. Right now, I have not thought about it at all. You know, the last few years, Valentine's Day is during the week, has been, often is, um, and I did not have time to actually cook, because if you get home at 7 p.m. or whatever, and we have a kid, um, and it's just like, you don't have time to really 
prepare a meal. And I had gone down to Little Italy to De Paola's, this great um, uh, Italian market, and they've had amazing porchetta there. It's up on the counter, and it's like this armor of crispy, crunchy, salty pork skin and tender meat inside, and it's seasoned beautifully. And you can just like give me a couple inches of that. And they just lop it off. Um, and I brought it home, still warm, and kind of tossed together this. Um, kind of awesome porchetta salad. I had got some beautiful radicchio and other sort of bitter greens, the bracing vinaigrette, tossed it all together, made some sort of side, I forget what, um, and bought a nice bottle of wine. And it just felt like fun and delicious. Whereas sometimes there are those meals, and you and I were talking about this before, sometimes if you put too much effort into a meal, there's almost pressure to like, oh my God, this is amazing. Right. Well, uh, it doesn't have to be special in the like, combination of flavors or doing anything kind of crazy but you know picking one thing that you really like or go out to eat a lot like making your own ramen or you know making tortillas or something one extra special thing because you know say you cook at home a lot anyway what makes this night different i think part of that is is thought and effort and i do think that you do need to take the time like all right actually set the table nicely have Mm -hmm. some sort of little centerpiece flower sort of gig make a playlist. Just make it feel a little different than the average night in dinner while you're watching Homeland or whatever. Um, And And Julia said she was doing something that was really fun this year. Yeah, what do you got, Kramer? This is my plan for this year. Not that Zach, my husband, really cares one way or another. But um, a couple years ago, we went on this amazing trip to a restaurant called Favakin in Sweden. And I thought that for Valentine's Day, it would be nice to sort of recall that meal and cook a few recipes from that restaurant. It just so happens that we have a couple recipes on bonappetit.com. And the two that I'm planning on cooking, there's a recipe for a really great um, steak and then these beautiful little thumbprint jam cookies. Yeah, those are kind of the only two recipes from that restaurant you could possibly cook. It's very Nordic Scandinavian. Right. And it's less about the food itself for me than just kind of recalling the experience and the but memory that's really of being thoughtful there. and really sweet. It's like a good plan. So Kramer, will Zach get you something? You'll buy him something? What's your what's your gift plan? He's a very particular man. Um, so I'm just going to try to focus on the things that I know that he likes. He does really like incense. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone should go out and buy some incense. But I do think it's nice to get um, a thoughtful gift that is not something super cliche, like a, a box of chocolate. Exactly. Do it your way and have a great Valentine's Day this year. Allison Roman, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Julia Kramer, thank you so much. Good luck with Zach this year. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. And up next, Chef Enrique Olvera of Cosme Restaurant here in New York City. Back to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Joining me now is Deputy Editor Scott DeSimon. Thanks for having me, Adam. And Enrique Olvera, chef of Puyol Restaurant in Mexico City in the recently opened Cosme here in New York. Welcome to the show, Enrique. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you opened Cosme, and I guess the, for the first question is why? Because in New York City, it's interesting. This is kind of restaurant mecca, but there is a certainly a recent sort of history the last decade or two of very accomplished, well-respected chefs coming to New York, 
and kind of getting their asses kicked, whether it's Alain Ducasse or Joël Robuchon, Michelle Richard. Were you aware of that, of the kind of the attitude of the, the city itself and what you were getting yourself into? Um, not necessarily at first. Obviously, as, as uh, we got closer to the opening, we started uh, trying to learn from the mistake of others. I was fortunate enough to get even emails like Gaston sent me, uh, the Peruvian chef sent me like a, a very nice email with a lot of feedback on the things that he had done wrong in, in New York and things that he would have done differently. And that would be Gaston Acurio from Lamar Restaurant, who opened here in New York in the old tabla space, and things didn't quite work out for him. But to me, New York was always a dream, and I went to school here back in 1995. Oh, wow. So Where, where did you go to school? At the CIA in, oh, cool. in Poughkeepsie, oh, Hyde Park. Oh, okay, so yeah, Hyde Park, certainly. And I always liked it, and I figured I, I, I dreamed about it when I was in school, like maybe one day I can live here. So to me, it was always something that I had in the back of my mind. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to find good partners. Uh, when we talked about the restaurant in, in New York, uh, we agreed on almost everything in the first meeting, so I figure we all want the same. And Scott, you've been to Cosme a few times, and what is your take in terms of, does it feel like something very different, or does it feel like a quote-unquote New York restaurant, or, you know, in terms I, of... I think it, it does a good job of kind of splitting the middle. I mean, I've been through a handful of uh, places in Mexico City, the, the kind of the New Guard Mexico City places. Um, it feels like a New York restaurant. Um, and then you look at the menu and it's like, oh, this is really, it's really interesting. And you see a lot of traditional Mexican ingredients used in different, different ways that you can't find, you don't find in that in New York. Um, and it's super casual and fun and loud and seems like a great place. You could even just go and sit at the bar and get a Paloma and have some snacks. And so. a Paloma being a tequila, grapefruit, Concoction. Or with mezcal. I like a mezcal paloma. Well, I'm curious, actually, just to see how you describe Enrique's cooking compared to how Enrique would describe his own cooking. What, how would, you know, to someone who's never been to the restaurant, how would you, how would you break it down? Um, I break it down, and it, it hits on, uh, the most interesting thing in the menu is way down at the bottom in the corner, it says guacamole, $9. Weirdly quietly, there's all this other amazing stuff, um, a lot of it traditional, a lot of it rests on traditions. Um, you know, there are great large format dishes, this, the duck carnitas that everyone's going crazy for. There's a large format steak for tacos. There's a chicharron, basically a giant chunk of pigskin, fried pigskin, yeah. right? Yeah, with a little salad on top Yeah, and this to one, make it healthy. <laughs> this, yeah, this one is super light, super great, has a, a little sauce. Um, there's like a kind of it's sauce. Valentina. Yeah. It's Valentina. It's, it's light and fantastic, and it's a take on what would normally be just this gigantic hunk of pigskin that would come with a salsa or two. Uh, that you would order. And then you look at something like a, the aguachile, the scallop aguachile, which is a little bit like a ceviche. We don't see a lot of aguachile here. It's funny because we just did a story mm-hmm. and had an aguachile and everybody was like, what's that? Enrique, what is an aguachile? So the aguachile is uh, close. It's like a relative of the ceviche. Uh, it's The name is agua, water, chile from the pepper, and it's usually a little bit more brothy. Uh, it comes hey. from Sinaloa. It's just scallops, uh, um, shrimp. So most of the time is a combination of those two. Any citrus? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Lime. So. Uh, they use a, a small uh, chile, kind of like a piquin, um, and obviously onions and a little cilantro and purple onions. Were there dishes in, in or preparations that you thought would work well here in New York? Or dishes that you thought might not work well in New York that do work in Mexico City? Like, what did you and did you not bring with you? 
Well, a lot of people say when they go to Puyo, like, oh, this is this seems like very New Yorky. So I guess no, because I, I lived here, I I've always had that in me. No, I I've always approached food like that. What we wanted to bring was first of all all of our uh, soul, uh, not necessarily recipes, but more flavors. We're we're not cooking traditionally in Cosme, in the sense that we're using yes some techniques. Uh, some ingredients, but you won't see anything that is uh, like right from a cookbook, from a Mexican cookbook. We're uh, adapting to local ingredients, we're adapting to the local palate, uh, and then we're trying to keep uh, true to the flavor profile of Mexican food. But um, in terms of, you mentioned ingredients, and I mean, Mexico City is one of those uh, cities where the climate is pretty consistent year-round, very high elevation. Um, New York, obviously not consistent. Right now it's freezing up. How are you adapting to that and realize, like, oh, it's it's January. I'm not getting tomatoes. I'm not getting, you know, there's just a lot of stuff you, you're not going to get here unless you really source them from somewhere else and they're not going to be peak ripeness, et cetera. I mean, there's a couple of ingredients that we still have to use year-round. Like, we depend heavily on cilantro and tomatoes and and avocado, so we're, we're sourcing those whenever we can, or wherever we can. And the rest of the menu does change. No, like right now we're working on a fish with uh, olives and onions and cauliflower, which might not seem Mexican, uh, but there's actually like small references there uh, with like cauliflowers and escabeche, the onion, the olives from the Veracruzana. Uh, the, we have like a, st- a steak called encebollado, which is just like sauteed with, with onions. So we're taking like little chunks of recipes from a lot of the regions and then putting them together in one dish. So the flavor keeps Mexican, even though the, the recipe is not. Have you yet worked with any ingredients? Or are you looking forward to working with any ingredients um, that are indigenous and unique to the New York area, America, that you have not gotten back in Mexico? I'm in love with cress, and I in Mexico we don't have good cress, good no water, water cress. cress. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I love that flavor. I, I love uh, like sour and bitter. Those are, I think, flavors that are very uh, very nice to work with in cooking. So I'm looking to all of that, like all the and all the spring vegetables as well. What about where are you getting like sourcing your meat and pork from and stuff? How did you decide? Uh, Pat Lafrida is our, our purveyor for the for the beef. New, New York loves Pat Lafrida. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I mean, we we were fortunate enough to to know a lot of the chefs when we got here, mm-hmm. and they've been all super generous with their purveyors. So I called uh, Alex and I called Carlo and Ignacio, and they've been. Super nice. Scott, do you want to translate those names? Uh, <laughs> Carlo from uh, Roberta's and uh, Ignacio is the chef at Estella, which brings me to one of my favorite dishes on your menu. There is a burrata with a salsa verde that you have, and he does one as well, and I saw it, and I was curious to go. It's very different, and it's amazing. And I'm wondering, did you know that uh, Estella, obviously you've probably eaten at yes, Estella a number of times. Of course. Um, did you know that he did that, and what were you trying to do in um, your version of it? Yeah, when, when we opened Cosme, I dined around a lot of the restaurants, uh, and that then try to get a similar flavor profile. Obviously, the, the burrata in Estella is very, even though they have the same name, they're very different in the because his salsa is more like I think parsley and uh, a little bit more uh, it's meant to be eaten on a bread um, ours uh, it was a mixture uh, there's little messages in all of my dishes that if you know Mexican food you can always relate to 
where I'm thinking. So if you have chilaquiles with salsa verde, so you have like a tostada, which is like the corn part, you have the salsa verde for the chilaquiles, and usually chilaquiles, you get a lot of cream and cheese on top. Um, so I know it sounds like a little funky, like burrata with green salsa, but to me, the flavor is uh, very clear. Speaking of burrata, and it's fascinating in New York now, we are at a point where you can go out and buy burrata and buffalo mozzarella from Italy that was flown in that morning, and you can buy it that afternoon. Um, in Mexico City, are you getting the Italian cheeses like that, or do you cook with them? Uh, no, but the, f- the flavor profile of the cheeses is very similar. Uh, like we've substituted queso fresco from ricotta. The burrata we're using uh, when we have like a runny cheese in Mexico. Yeah, remember Mexico, is, it's a hot country. It's, uh, so you, we don't age cheeses cor- nicely. And I think there are similarities with some Italian cheeses because of the weather. Uh, also, it's a poor country, so you want to eat your cheese. Scott, you had a question about uh, uh, tortillas. Um, yeah, tortillas. Um, your tortillas are awesome and great. Uh, literally until like five, ten years ago, it was really hard to find a good homemade tortilla in New York City. You'll find them popping up uh, here and there. Is that something when you when you came in here, were you kind of aware that you had to make like the best tortilla in the city? Because it, yes, it that is. that was definitely the first thing that we looked into it. Uh, one of the our main concerns was that we started making tortillas uh, just a few years ago in in Puyol uh, because it is such a uh, labor-intensive process, and it requires a lot of space and equipment as well. The Molino is uh, probably the size of this table. I don't know, like inches. Explain uh, a Molino. A Molino is the mill mm. that you grind the corn with. Uh, the really expensive machinery as well. And then can pressing the tortillas. Also, it's not only, only labor-intensive, but it's also really expensive. Yeah, and someone's doing that all day. I think that's their job. Yeah, we're doing right now like 2,500 uh, tortillas a day. In, I mean, in, that, in that New York Times article on Danny Bowen, uh, when he opened Mission Cantina, they're talking about how he just he knew that the tortillas were not up to stuff when he opened, and he had to up his game. And, and if he wanted respect as a, as a restaurant with... Uh, quality Mexican food. He had, he needed to improve and sort of. Said so what's to the it. one thing you need for people to kind of respect your as a Mexican restaurant? All right, wait. You you just, you just got an email. What did it say, Enrique? Yeah, three stars. Three stars from where? From the Times. Just now. Yeah. New York Times. As we're recording. As we're recording it. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Cool. Breaking news on the Bon Appetit Foodcast. This, this is a first. Um, <laughs> did you know, Enrique, that when Pete Wells was in the restaurant? Did, did your waiters or anyone spot him? I was fortunate enough to be there uh, for the visit. So yes, we, the, the second time we didn't recognize him until like really late in the, <laughs> in the dinner. Wow, that's amazing, congratulations. Thank you. We're just, we're just super happy. I'm... Now, will there be a, a little celebration after hours tonight at uh, Cosme? I, mean, I just turned off my phone because my ass was buzzing, <laughs> like, getting congrats from everyone. Uh, when you celebrate, what do you drink? Uh, usually mezcal or gin and tonics. Uh, I usually start with mezcal, and then uh, as the night progresses, I need a little bit more sugar, so I move to gin and tonic. <laughs> all right, wait, let's talk mezcal for a second. It seems like us, we all like tequila, but then the Mexicans are like, no, 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 it's mezcal is what you want to be drinking. No, I mean, tequila is also really good. Yeah. I, it's just what happened with tequila is that uh, a lot of the big companies uh, bought most of the producers, and then it just became a little bit boring because the product was so very flat. But I love tequilas too, like, you know, like uh, Siete Leguas Blanco is an amazing tequila. With mezcal and, and, and tequila, you always want blanco. If you really think about it, like, especially with, with mezcal too, uh, 
a, a vine will give you grapes like every every year. The the agave plant takes at the like ten years normally, oh, wow. but it could take like fifty. So you're drinking something that's fifty years old. Uh, so to me, it's actually really cheap mezcal, and I I'm sure it's gonna get really expensive. So I'm already having like a little private stash going on because I know <laughs> it's got yeah the the price is gonna get it's up kind, so it's kind of like Mexican single malt it has that smokiness it and is. The, well, yeah. I, I think part of the reason why uh, mezcal kind of put some people off in the beginning is that we, the first stuff we get was really smoky but mezcal has this huge range where some of it is not that smoky at all and it, other, other is much more smoky so it is kind of like scotch in a way that it can kind of encompass this big spectrum of smoke and and it has uh, several methods too uh, tequila is a little bit more uh, monochromatic, no. There's the blue agave, no. It gets roasted, whereas the with the mezcal you have hundreds of agave plants. Uh, you can do it under the earth. You can age it in clay. You can age it in leather. Wow. All right. Well, Enrique, uh, a thank you so much for joining us. B congratulations on the New York Times three star review. That is awesome. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Adam. All right, you've been listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Thanks for joining us, Scott DeSimon, Deputy Editor of Bon Appetit, and Enrique Olvera of Cosme Restaurant, who, while we were recording today on Tuesday, February 3rd, got buzzed on his phone that he just received three stars from the New York Times. Way to go, Enrique. Enrique.